from the book of Acts. We are in chapter 4, and our scripture reading comes from chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. So hear the word of the Lord. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, "'What shall we do with these men?' For that, notable, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what would you do next? I mean, they're thrown in jail for healing some guy who couldn't walk. I mean, that's low, right? Seriously? Stop healing people, right? And never mention Jesus again. And keep in mind, like these are the exact same, literally the same people who condemned Jesus to death. What would you do next? Well, about two weeks ago, I ran away scared like a little girl. I mean, granted, the, the circumstances were, were very different, um, but it's kind of it's what I do. Uh, it's kind of how it works sometimes. So I was, I was on, a, on a hike early morning. Um, I was going pretty fast. I turned around a corner and not more than 20 feet in front of me, there he was. <laughs> Big old angry skunk. And he had heard me coming because he was in the position. Let me tell you, like tail up, butt aimed, and just sort of like, I dare you. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, and I, I, I stopped as fast as I could. I mean, so fast that I almost fell forward. And immediately, I just began thinking about everything this jerk was about to ruin in my life. You know, my plans, I had some meetings, I was preaching the next day, like my new sweatshirt, you know, all of this, my self-respect. Uh, and and I, just, I just stood there like, okay, don't, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. And then I smelled it. 
and I panicked. I mean, I got out of there like it was a grizzly bear behind me. I ran. And, and I know, like, of course, like, that's what, that's, of course you do that in that situation. It's a skunk, and who really cares? But if I'm honest, that's, that's kind of what we do, right? I mean, that's, that's our tendency in the, in the midst of something difficult or hard or uncomfortable, something that's going to be unpleasant for us. You and I, at least me, we run. But what did they do? They run, hide, renounce their faith. Did they, did they start a political crusade to preserve their power? Did they fight back? Did they pray? Maybe they're more spiritual. And so they pray, Jesus, protect us. Keep us safe. Or at least just let us blend in and get on with our lives. That's probably what I would have prayed, if I'm honest. But them? I pray for God's blessings. They pray for boldness. I pray for comfort. And they pray for courage. Hey, hey, God, you know how we just got in that huge trouble and they're really mad and the same people who killed you? Like, help us do more of that. And they'll be killed for it. Yet they literally change our world. And not just if you're a Christian. Like, our, our view in the Western world of human rights of individual dignity and freedom, like that starts here with these people. The reason we believe those things is because they did and they were bold enough to spread those ideas throughout the world. And, and Christian or not, we admire courageous people. People who stand for something bigger than themselves, willing to sacrifice for the good of others. And, and then given the fact that if you are a Christian, you and I believe that we have the greatest news the world has ever known, right? That life has meaning, that forgiveness is real, that, that suffering does not define us, that people can change, that death will not have the last word. We believe those things, don't we? And so I, I want to be bold, but I run. I'm scared, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, I don't know what to say. And I certainly don't want to be a jerk or labeled as one of those weirdos. So how do we become bold? Well, let's, let's look at the early church. Turn, turn to Acts 4 if you have a Bible with you. We'll have it on the screen as well. What can we learn from our origin story, from the first Christians? Well, let me, let me try to tell their story for us. We heard most of it read. Um, let me kind of tell it. We'll walk through and try to draw out three things along the way that we need today to be bold like they were. The first, let's, let's kind of remind ourselves where we are, okay? So we're, if you're new here, we're, we've been studying Acts. Okay, we're in the, in the fourth chapter of Acts, and we're still really close to the beginning, right? We just got started. Uh, and, and this is like maybe three or four months after Jesus left. So after his death, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit has come. God dwells within all who believe. And last week, if you're here, Peter and John, they were headed to the temple, and outside the temple, they saw this guy who had been lame for 40 years, unable to walk. And Jesus enabled them to heal him. And everybody saw it. And they knew this guy. He, he had been sitting there unable to walk for 40 years. And now he's leaping with joy in front of them. And so more people become Christians. 
Now Luke tells us at this point it's, it's about 5,000 men, so you include women and children. We're talking 10, 15,000 people in three or four months saying this Jesus is everything. And the religious leaders are fuming. Didn't we fix this problem? This Jesus problem when we killed him? I mean, that's what happens, right? Kill the leader, revolution dies. But Jesus' death and missing body, where did we put that thing, right? It's only made matters worse. And so they toss them in jail overnight so that they can uh, get the, the Sanhedrin, that's the high Jewish court together, to, to do a trial for them, against them. And it's led by none other than Annas and Caiaphas. These are literally the same people who condemned Jesus three months ago. And so even imagine like Peter standing there. Like he, he had been there. Remember, he was outside in the courtyard looking in. He's like, I can, like elbowing John. Hey, that's where I denied Jesus. That's where, the, that's where they punched Jesus in the face. And, and hey, John, we're, we're standing right in the exact place where they condemned Jesus to crucifixion. Like in their minds, their imaginations, this only ends one place for them. I mean, they can only assume it's going to the same place that it took Jesus. And Peter, bless his heart, is like, are we really in trouble for healing this guy's legs? Like, really? Do you want to know how we did it? Verse 10, Peter says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Jeez, Peter, are you trying to get yourself killed? Think about this. Three months ago, in the same place, Peter had denied to a servant girl that he even knew who Jesus was. Now he's preaching this sermon before the same people who murdered him. How do you explain that? Peter continues, verse 11, he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, it's from Psalm 118. It's actually one of the most often quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. The New Testament writers, they grab onto this to describe who Jesus is. In ancient architecture, right, the most important stone was the cornerstone. I mean, it was the first stone laid and everything else flowed out of it. So it had to be perfect, exact, right? And Peter's like, come on, guys. You're the religious leaders, the expert builders in this metaphor, like, if anybody should have recognized him, if anybody should, should have seen that this is the stone, the foundation, the center of everything, if anybody should have seen it was you, but instead, not only did you not use him as the centerpiece, as a cornerstone, you turned him into gravel. And the religious leader standing there, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, these are ordinary people, just like you and me, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So here's the first thing. If you want to be bold, you have to see the world with new eyes. You have to see the world through the eyes of Peter and John. Everything changes now. I mean, think about this, like, 
It's all de- they had been with Jesus. They saw him dead. And then they had lunch together. And so for Peter and John, now everything is about Jesus, right? He's, he's the cornerstone, the, the foundation, the creator, the center of the universe. And they see everything differently as a result. Everything now is through the lens of the resurrected Jesus. It's a tiny bit like that Tide ad from the, uh, the Super Bowl. Do you know the one? Eh, let's watch. Yeah, just a typical Super Bowl car ad. Right? Or a hilarious beer ad. <laughs> or whatever ad this is. Whatever. But it's a Tide ad. What? It's a Tide ad. What makes it a Tide ad? There are no stains. Look at those clean clothes. What else would this be an ad for? Diamonds? A gift that lasts for a no time. It's time for a cold refresh. Tie that. Fall into the sleep of no. you. No. Tide. No. Tie that. Extreme. No. Tide. Tide! Meet the all new. No, it's a Tide ad. Tide. So, does this make every Super Bowl ad a Tide ad? I think it does. Watch and see. Okay, just for the record, this sermon has not been brought to you by Tide. Um, but it's, it's a brilliant ad, isn't it? Because now, now everything, if there's a commercial with clean clothes, like, well, maybe it's a Tide ad, right? That's, that's the lens in which Peter and John see everything now. Jesus is alive. He was dead, and now he's alive. And so everything is about him. Every Old Testament promise, every taste of love, beauty, hope, any hint of redemption or goodness or joy or wholeness or life, it's all about him. I mean, if Jesus came back to life, and I realize we may not all be on the same page with that. I get that. That's a hard one to believe. But just imagine with me, if Jesus came back to life, and if he promises to do the same to do the same thing for all who trust in him. I mean, can you imagine anything that would more radically change our world? That would more radically shatter reality as we know it? That everything now is about this person because he did this and they saw it. So of course they're bold. Like, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, yeah, they killed Jesus, but he's still alive. He made it. And so they see suffering differently. They see death differently, even their egos and desires. Life is not about them anymore. Sure, they might be mocked or marginalized or worse. But their biggest problem, sin and death, I mean, you know that's our biggest problem, right? Let's be honest, right? We hurt the people we love. We live mostly selfish lives, and then we die. It's a problem. But our biggest problem, people, the cure has begun through Jesus. And that changes the way we see everything. Now now listen, we've got to be careful here because seeing the world through the lens of Jesus also defines what boldness is, doesn't it? Boldness does not mean arrogance, judgmentalism, self-righteousness, arguing. I mean, too many Christians, way too many, think boldness is the same thing as being a jerk. We can't confuse that, people. Jesus had to die for you. Like, that's the only way he could save me. Like, I'm that messed up. He had to come to get me. 
And if that's true, then our boldness, it has to come with humility, grace, good works. Our boldness should look like theirs. And so, yes, we, we share what we believe, and that will astonish people, right? You've had some of those conversations. Some of you, like, really? You actually believe that? And you better believe it'll make people uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward. But do the people around us at least conclude about us? Here's a person who's been with Jesus. I mean, to be, to be bold, you've got to see the world differently. Fearless and yet radically humble. Okay, so go back to the story because there's something else Peter says here. And it's one of the most offensive things anybody can ever say. And, and not just in our culture, sometimes we think, think that, but the Roman Empire was even more pluralistic than we are. What does he say? Verse 12. Oh, and by the way, religious leaders, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation, forgiveness, wholeness, heaven. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And I, I would have loved to, seen, to have seen the faces of the religious, religious leaders as they heard Peter say that. Like, they just had no category. Are you kidding me? What do you mean, only Jesus? We killed him, right? And the reality is most of us are thinking it too, aren't we? I am, right? What do you, what do you mean only? What about, what about my friends who don't believe? I feel that. What about good people who believe other things or those maybe who live in other cultures not like ours and have never heard of Jesus? Then, then what, Peter, right? Well, let me say two things about that. First, first at the end of the day, that's up to God right? Not me, not you. We don't decide who gets in and gets out. He does. And we believe, right? This book teaches that God is infinitely merciful and infinitely just. And so whatever he does to work out the details will be in line with his character and we can trust him. That's, that's the first, that's the most important. But second, second, here's what Peter knew. I mean, in the history of the world, in the history of religion or philosophy, there's been no one ever, even remotely, like Jesus. That he stands alone and apart from anyone else. Like, who makes such incredible claims and does such incredible things. I mean, like, don't forget, like, the lame man is standing there the whole time. I mean, I love that about this trial. You gotta, like, picture him in the corner. He's like, but guys, I can walk, right? What's the big deal? Like, he's just celebrating. Only Jesus can do that. Only he can make the lame walk, and more than that. Friends, Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to have the ability to forgive sins and to heal everything in our world. And so Jesus was either psychotic or delusional unless he actually came back to life. And then you've got to listen, right? Who else can do that? Which leads to the second thing, if you want to be bold. If you want to be bold, you have to believe it might actually be worth it. It might be worth it, actually. 
that Jesus really is unique, that there's something about him that everyone else in the, in the entire world needs desperately. The, the, the thing that we're all looking for and hoping for, meaning, purpose, life, forgiveness. You've got, you've got to believe that Jesus can do what he promises, that he's worth being bold about, and that people might actually respond to him today. I'm not sure we believe that, do we? But Peter says, even to the people who murdered Jesus, you can be saved. I mean, this is, this is so hard for us. It's hard for me because it just doesn't fit our culture, right? Our, our, our world. It's, this is, these are hard words, but listen, all religions, they're not all the same. They're not the same. Every other religion says... Be good, be good enough, try hard enough, and God might accept you. I mean, look into it, right? That's, that's where all religions are the same, except what Christianity says. Christianity says you can't be good enough, right? You're too much of a mess, and yet he was good enough for you, and he died for you. Will you trust him? Only Jesus offers that. And we have new Christians here with us. It still happens. And and for Peter and John, they saw them come by the thousands. Imagine that. Of course they're not going to shut up about this. Are you kidding me? Don't ever mention this again or else. I mean, they almost laugh. Like, what are you going to do? Kill us? That worked well the first time, right? Verse 20. For we cannot but speak. We can't help it. Sorry, guys, of what we have seen and heard. They saw the world differently, and they believed it was worth it. It's still not enough. It's not enough for me, at least. Maybe it's enough for you. I don't know. I can't, I can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't just try harder to be bold. Like, I'm going to muscle through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it this time, right? I'm going to be brave. Or maybe, maybe some of us are like, well, man, now I feel lousy about myself because I don't ever talk about Jesus. So, you know, see if guilt will, will motivate us for a little while, right? It's not going to work. I don't know what to say to my neighbors. Or my the parents at my friends, my kids' school, their friends. I don't know what to say to my, my family members who don't believe. And, and if I'm honest, I don't, I don't particularly like the way some people look at me once they find out I'm a pastor. Truthfully, I mean, I tell you what, I avoid that question, the what do you do question, like the plague. Like, I will run circles around that question because as soon as I do, oh, oh man, you're one of them, right? And not just one of them, like, I'm, I'm not just, I didn't just drink the Kool-Aid, I'm serving the Kool-Aid, right? <laughs> I think I'd rather smell like a skunk. And even more than that, though, it's that I'm not ashamed of what I do. I'm certainly not ashamed of the fact that I follow Christ, but I don't want to make people uncomfortable. I don't want to have those awkward conversations. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't want to come across as arrogant or argumentative or judgy, right? Some of you, that's where you're at. It's like you believe in this, you want to do it, but it's, man, it feels so weird. Listen, none of us can do this. Peter can't even do this, Right? Look at the failure he was when he denied Jesus three times. He can't do this, not on his own. Neither can we. Look at this is the third thing. If you want to be bold, 
You have to depend on a strength that's not your own. On a strength that's not your own. How else do you explain who Peter now is three months later? Yes, he'd seen Jesus alive, but he's also filled with God's spirit, empowered by him. So are we. Verse, verse 31. And when they had prayed for boldness, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, friends, this, this means that if you're a believer, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that filled Peter, that enabled such boldness to start the church and change our world, that same spirit lives within you. And no one wants the people in your life to meet Jesus more than he does. I mean, you think you want that, right? He wants this so badly for us. And so ask him, God, make me bold. This is how they did it back in verses 24 and 29. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, not safety, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And I know what some of you are thinking, right? Well, this is a fine conversation for Sunday, right? Safe in here. Like most of us kind of believe many of these things, right? It's, or maybe you're thinking, Nathan, you're a pastor. It's your job. Just do your job, right? But if this only exists for people like Billy Graham. Maybe you're thinking, man, tomorrow, Monday, when I get into the real world, what then, Nathan? Well, what does this mean for us for tomorrow? Because I, I get those accusations. I mean, I feel that, right? I, I don't pretend to understand all the complexities of your world. I, my life is primarily surrounded by you all, right? I get that. So I don't, I don't necessarily understand some of the, the challenges. I have those myself, right, with my neighbors and, you know, friends and kids, kids' friends, all those kinds of things. But I do know where every one of us can start with this. It's kind of obvious from the story, isn't it? Ask God. Ask him to make you bold. God, would you give me boldness like they had? And help me know what that boldness is supposed to even look like, right? Because it's, it's not brashness. It's not being weird for the sake of being weird, right? Right? It's got to flow out of love and humility. And so ask for it. And when you do, just know, I mean, you know God is going to answer that prayer, don't you? Because nobody, nobody wants to say yes to that prayer more than he does. Because he wants that so desperately for you and for me and for the people in our lives. And when he answers that prayer, live your faith publicly. Open your mouth. Tell others. <laughs> right? It's scary, isn't it? I know this is where it gets scary. Let me give us just some simple ideas. Just to be practical. None of this is original with me. Um, but I want to spark our imagina imaginations. I've got a list of just five easy things. Pick one. We could list 25 things, but I'm just going to grab five. Pick one. I mean, obviously it begins with prayer, praying for boldness. Uh, but five, five ideas to get started with this. First, uh, for some of us, maybe it's just letting the people around you know that you're a Christian and doing that in a natural, unforced way. This might be the scariest one up there, right? Man, I'm supposed to tell people about that? Just even just declare who I am? 
I mean, don't force it. Don't make it weirder than it has to be. But I mean, if our culture values anything at all, it's authenticity. And it's inauthentic for you to hide who you are. Another, another option, maybe ask friends about their faith. Maybe it's over, over dinner or coffee sometime. You're hanging out. Just ask them what they believe. What do they build their lives on? And just listen. You don't have to have the answers. Just listen. Another idea, listen, listen to your friends' problems. They have them. You have them. They're probably very similar. Ask if you can pray for them. Share your story. You can't argue with somebody's story in our culture, right? You can't. Share your story of how and why you're with Jesus. Another one, we, we talk about this often, this is easy, I mean easier maybe, uh, none of these are easy. Invite them to church. I know that can be awkward too. Um, I, I've heard it said that a, an easy way to like train your brain to remember to invite somebody to church is if anytime you hear the three knots, again this isn't original with me, the three knots, I'm not from around here, things are not going well, or we were not prepared for this. Anytime you hear those, it's, it's an easy, easy avenue. We're not from around here. Well, welcome to Olathe. Glad you're here. I don't know if you're a church person, but I love my church. And it's been a place of community for me. Things have, things have not been going well. Or, or we were not prepared for this, like something good in my life. But we, just, we were not ready. Well, you know, I'm sorry that's happening to you. I don't know if you're a church person, but I love my church. It's been a place of encouragement and support for me. Would you ever want to come with? And when we do, who knows? That's up to God. Maybe another way to look at it. Over, over Christmas break, we visited Kelly's family. She grew up in Florida, and so we, we often make, our, make that long drive. It's very pleasant. Um, <laughs> it's nice when we get there. Um, and, and this particular time, we spent a, a couple of days at what is perhaps the greatest place on the planet. Harry Potter World. It's amazing. You must go. It's unbelievable, right? And if, if you've been there, like, it's, it's literally hidden in the back of Universal Studios. Like, it's hidden away. You can't see it from anywhere else in the park. You have to know where it is and how to get in, right? Because that's, that's part of the story, right? And when we, when we step through, oh, man, it was like we were there, right? It's like I'd somehow missed my letter to Hogwarts. And, I mean, you, you, it, you just felt the excitement. And, I mean, it just, it's like, it's like it was all real. As if magic was real. As if evil was defeated, right? If you know that story, it's, such, it's so hopeful. I mean, don't you want to live in that world? And, and after we'd been there for a while, we just sort of, uh, we spent some time just like watching as others entered in for the very first time. To watch them see it. Like to, to experience it, like, and to, to long for it together. I don't know, that's... that's silly, right? I'm a dork. I get it. But friends, that's, that's Peter. That's every day for Peter. Because three months ago, I mean, he stepped through to a world where resurrection happens, where shame can be defeated, where loneliness and depression and disease, where these things don't have to define us, where people can change, where relationships can be healed. Like, he has walked through, and now he lives there, that death will not be victorious over us and that anyone can be saved. And for these last months, every time he turns around, he sees someone else walking in and seeing for the first time forgiveness, hope, life, joy, wholeness, all of it offered to them. 
That's where Peter lives. That's where we live. And God wants other people to live there as well. God, help us be bold. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we can't do that without you, without your help. God, I know in those moments I become such a coward. Even what's, what's easy sometimes for me to say up here, boy, it just feels different one-on-one with a neighbor. So God, I pray that we would see the world through the lens of you and resurrection and all that that means. That we would see, Jesus, that you promised to do this in us and in the people around us. And that Holy Spirit, you would give us the power and the strength to obey you and to see others coming to know you. Help us, we pray. Amen. Well, as Reed mentioned, uh, next Sunday is our, our last Sunday in this room. Uh, and since I know some of us will be gone uh, next week because of spring break, actually, con- confession, this is my last Sunday in here. Uh, I'll be back on the 18th, um, not going anywhere, but uh, I'm feeling a little, a little nostalgic, right? And so if you'll indulge me, I want to take just a minute to remember together. Uh, on December 3rd, 2006, uh, we had our first official Sunday in this room. That was the bookmark we gave out. It's hanging on my desk. Um, and actually, that was, the, that was the grand opening Sunday. We'd, we'd started maybe a couple months earlier. I can remember my first Sunday here. Uh, it was just it was Kelly and me and maybe a dozen people. Um, Lee, I saw you there. You're, you were there. That's it. Um, thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, but in December was kind of our official opening. And for those of you who don't remember those, those times, let me just a little, little walk through uh, memory lane here. Uh, and so at that, at that point, the building was just this building. So this upstairs, downstairs. Uh, lobby was in the back. Uh, it's adorable, isn't it? Um, the sanctuary was also smaller, so it was half the size. There was a wall back here, lobby in the back. The bathroom's over there. So as you go out those doors, just remember you're walking through the restrooms. Um, it's a little weird. Um, but we had pews as well. Uh, and just, just a handful of people uh, those first couple of years, really. Um, if, if you were here in December, let's just say December, maybe January, December of 2006, would you please stand so we can thank you? Would you do that for us? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you um, for your faithfulness. Um, and while, while I, couldn't, I couldn't be more thrilled for what God has in store, I mean, we're so excited for what's next and just the opportunity that God has given us in Olathe to expand our ability to reach our neighbors and to share Jesus uh, with them. We're so, we're so grateful. The future is good. Um, and yet next Sunday, right, that's, that's the last. It's our 588th Sunday uh, since we started um, Christ Community in Olathe. Uh, this space will be rededicated, uh, the back will be offices, and all the rest will be for our middle school and high school students. We're so excited for them to be able to move in here and have, have the space that they need. Um, and then, yeah, March 18th, 9 and 10.30. I told you we're going to keep saying that, 9 and 10.30. And it's going to be fun, uh, but my, my heart is, as you can probably imagine, it's bursting with joy and gratitude for God's faithfulness. Uh, and for those of you from the early days who put up a lot of, a lot of mistakes, Thank you um, for being here, all of you. And so I want to I pray for us, and I, 
kind of wrote out some thoughts because I'm a little, you know. Um, and so would you, would you pray with me as I, as I pray this prayer for us? Father, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that 11 and a half years ago, instead of getting comfortable in one place, sent us out to start something here. The courage, the money, the sacrifice. God, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So thank you. And God, thank you so much for those who stepped out in, in faith, those who stood just a moment ago, to, who left the church that they love to create a church right here, which has become a home for so many. And we thank you for the hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people who have joined our family since. And so as we look back, for all the times we've heard your good news in this room, we give you thanks. For the times we've been convicted by your word in this room, we give you thanks. For the encouragement we've received, the hope that's been built, the comfort and the love, we give you thanks. For the laughter we've shared, for the tears we've felt, the countless songs and prayers and sermons, even the ones that weren't very good. For the presence of Jesus as we gather and the work of his spirit, we give you thanks. For all the children who have been dedicated to you in this room, the first of them now entering middle school this fall, we give you thanks. May they and all our children grow up loving you and loving your church. And as this space becomes home for our middle school and high school students, we pray your blessings. Use this space in their lives to help them know you and help them know how much their church loves them. For the marriage vows that have been spoken in this room, for relationships that have been fostered, strengthened, restored, for the families nurtured, as well as for the loved ones we've said goodbye to in funerals in this room give you thanks. Oh, and Lord Jesus, for the new life and all the mystery that it is, people have been reborn by your spirit in this room. Dead people have been made alive through Jesus. Changes happened, commitments, renewals. So many have been baptized into hope in this room. And for the joy that we've received, we give you thanks. What a privilege it is that you've allowed us to play a small part in your mission Olatha. We give you glory. You've done this in us, through us, and for us, and now, as everything is about to change, and we're not that small church anymore, we ask, do it again. What you've done here, do it there, and even more, and then do it again, and again, and again, and don't let us get complacent, don't let us get comfortable or self-absorbed, don't let us take credit for your work, and please don't let us get in the way. Let us instead boldly give ourselves away. And so we give you this space and the new space. We give you our hearts and our lives, everything we have and all that we are, for we trust in you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Please stand with me for the benediction. As we hear these words of blessing for all of us, sent out in the places that God has called you. Right, Sunday is just the beginning, right? Everywhere that you go, may these words be true of us. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.